Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> you're funny. You're really, you're really funny. Yeah, what do you mean I'm uh, funny? You know, it's it's funny. It's a it's a funny question. It's funny. You're a, you're a funny guy. What, the way I talk. I asked you how your mental health is. I know. It's just that you're you're funny. Like the way you pose the question and everything. It's funny. Funny how? What what's funny about it? No, I'm I'm just saying you're funny to pose the question after we just talked about you know like random shit for. Uh, Explain it to me. Maybe, maybe I'm a little you know. Maybe I'm a little fucked up, huh? But I'm funny how? Like, I'm a clown? I amuse you? Do I amuse you? Am I here to fucking amuse you? <laughs> funny how? How am I funny for asking how you've been you know, doing? Just, just how the question was posed, and, and you did it so out of the blue. You, no, you see, know? I don't know. You said I'm funny. You said you said it, right? So, so how am I funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? Buddy, screw off. You had to be for a second. <laughs> Hey, you think it's a funny question? I'll put you under the microscope you thought I was trying to put you under. You know, I'm just asking you, you stuttering idiot. How are you? I care about you. Christ, look at you. You're yeah, shaking. Yeah, well, well, not well. Oh, huh. You don't say. Life's a wreck? Yeah, life's a wreck. What's going on, guys, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Kyle Moore. Here with me is always the voice of my mental health, Howdy. Uh, and this is Life's Wreck, the podcast where we talk about mental health with special guests and amongst ourselves because, I mean, someone's got to do it, right? You're goddamn right someone has to. And we're, we're a little late on the draw here, you know, but we're here. It's just a week late. It's nothing crazy. Definitely been a few crazy weeks, though. <laughs> yeah, a few weeks ago, we were going at it. Then we got COVID. And now we're here. Yeah, where do you want to start? <laughs> well, I think first we want to, I want to give a shout out to my boy Rick Mamie um, for the inspiration mm. behind this week's podcast intro. A little good fellow. Um, Rick wanted to pass along that during this time to be kind to one another and to be brave, take that tough step, reach out for help if you need it, or reach out to someone who you think might be in need of help, ask how they're doing, start a conversation. Um, we're entering the fifth wave, which these waves just basically keep coming with covid and it's the holidays as well which can be a really tough time for people so we need connection now 
more than ever. I love it. That's a fantastic yeah, shout-out. fantastic. Rick, Rick's a fantastic guy. And if you want a shout-out on the podcast, um, reply to our story the week uh, leading up to a podcast episode on Instagram. That's at Lifestrike Podcast. Uh, and if your idea is picked, you can shout-out whatever you want on the pod. Shall we touch on our little spat? Yeah, I think that only seems fair. Yeah, so a few weeks ago, guys, um, you know, we had kind of talked about how we were taking some time uh, to deal with some things because, like, three separate, very substantial things happened in our life. All of which, all of which were positives. Yeah, I would say most, most of which were positive. Mm-hmm. Um, but having them all require a lot of attentiveness and care, having it all come up at once, it, yeah, overwhelming. Yeah, and then, and then I was like, like, holy shit, I have to. I was kind of like trying to force myself, like, I have to enjoy these things but because of how pressing everything was. I felt bad about not enjoying these things, like not feeling happy about it. And then there was like that whole, you know, flashbacks to early years not being able to enjoy good things, and you know that brought back some big emotions. And I don't know if I was I was ready for it all at once. I guess. And then by consequence, we start going at it because then I'm freaking out because my mental health is all over the place. That was well talked through, though. Huh. Yeah, that was, that was really efficient. So how, how are you feeling now? Well, good, because, I mean, we addressed it all head on and, like, you know, took some time to figure out the root cause of not feeling the best and address that as, you know, partners as a team. Yeah, honestly, I, w- I was happy with how that went. Like, during the spiral, after all the work we've done together, it was easy to be like, okay, let's slow down, realize that... Uh, Realize that we don't have to solve all of life's problems at once. It, it's not one of those things where it's like, hey, 48 hours, figure it all out. Yeah, it was like, it was take things on one at a time and create our own schedule with these things, not feeling like that pressure to meet a, you know, imaginary deadline or whatever. Well done. So back, so back to feeling better? On, on the upswing, for sure. It's great, man. Um, want to give them the rundown of Better Tomorrow sale before we hop into the, uh, sure, do, the interview? Absolutely. For everyone listening, Better Tomorrow is going to be having a Boxing Day sale. Yeah, I might even stretch it a few days after that. You know. Yeah, there, there we go. So on Boxing Day, if you'd like to support the podcast and mental health initiatives and organizations in Canada, plus get some pretty amazing like merch, posters, hats, stickers, check out bettertomorrow.world on Boxing Day. And uh, hopefully we'll Love see it. you there. Yeah. Um, alrighty guys, this week, uh, just as a heads up, we're going to be talking about suicide on the podcast, but, um, like, I, I know that that can be a really triggering subject for some people. I know that so many of us within the mental health space have a connection to that word in some, you know, some way, one way or another. Um, but I'm, I'm really proud of how we approach this conversation this week on the podcast. Like, I really think that, uh, you know, I'm using quotations here, but we did it right. Um, you know, it's an open conversation about one of the most stigmatized aspects of mental health. And frankly, I, I, frankly, I wouldn't want to have this conversation, um, with anybody else because I'm joined by a fellow young man working in the mental health space, 26 year old doctoral candidate from Dalhousie university and just all around pretty fantastic human being, Bryce Anderson. Bryce is currently over in South Korea to study suicide for his doctoral research. Um, Bryce has also just recently finished teaching his first university course at Dal uh, titled Sociology and Anthropology of the Body. If you don't know what anthropology is, you know, for those out there, not me because, you know, come on, like I obviously know. But if you don't, like we touch about it in the episode. Um, and he's going to be teaching another course about Korean culture and pop culture in the summer of 2020 at Dal, uh, 2022, sorry, at Dal. 
as I said, fantastic guy. Um, we bumped into each other at a party. We were introduced through a mutual friend. And after I heard Bryce talk and I learned about his research and, and you know, just seeing a young man working in this field and specializing in, in suicide and some of the cultural aspects that have to do with suicide ideation, suicidal ideation, and just everything like I, I th- I'm just absolutely stoked to have him on the podcast. Um, I don't want to ramble anymore. I think that uh, everybody can get something out of this episode, and it's a, it's a really important one. So I really hope that uh, if you like it, you'll share it with somebody in your life and uh, hopefully spread the casual conversations around suicide that, uh, you know, this is the kind of stuff that changes lives. Preventative conversations versus reactionary. That's what I love. Bryce, welcome to the podcast, man. It's an honor to have you here. How you doing? I'm I'm doing really good and honestly I'm I'm just really excited to be here and and to to be in a place where we can talk about some mental health and yeah, dude. and just talk about what what's going on in the world honestly yeah. yeah so let's get into it Well dude it was one of those things that last night after um you know for for those of you listening on the podcast uh Bryce and I bumped into it uh, bumped into each other at a party last night and uh we got talking and and the work you do is like it's amazing. Like it's really, really cool, and especially like you know to have a young man to to bump into a young man working within the mental health space and pursuing something that is so important to me. I was like, this is like this is a great fit. Like we gotta like we gotta like make this happen. Yeah, so the yeah. the fact that uh, the fact that we were able to make this happen on like such short notice and and jump in here like that's that's great. And and I'm I'm very very excited to have have you here. Yeah. Um. I guess like the first question, and I mean to to kind of like jump into things is like social anthropology something that i've heard about before but very little understanding so like in your words how would you describe for somebody you know like hypothetically if there's somebody listening to the podcast who's like what's social anthropology not me because i'm like a professional but you know somebody if they were thinking that way what would you tell them yeah so so usually i i I ask people what do you think it is and the answer that i usually get is is it archaeology you're you're the guy that digs up the bones right and so uh, not that that isn't an extension of anthropology, but mainly what I do is I study culture. Mm. So that's that's the general that's the general ten second explanation of what I do. But uh, more specifically, anthropologists typically look at how do people live in the world, how do they exist in the world. Mm. So if if you think of psychology as more the study of the mind or the study of the brain, anthropology would be the study of people. Nice. The study of people in society. Very so cool. Okay. You're looking at people. You're looking at how they live. Oh, just bring your microphone. You're looking, you're looking you at um, how they live, how they act, how they behave in society, what makes them behave that way mm. um, according to a more social level rather than just looking at how does their brain impact how they live. Interesting. So what, what kind of what sparked the interest in this field? Because obviously, I mean – for myself with like the podcast and everything like I love talking with people because I think that like the human experience is such a it's such an interesting thing but it's really the only thing that everybody on the planet shares is that we're all going through the human experience so that's something that like you know to be able to understand what somebody's going through is just something that I love to hear about their perspective on life you know what kind of spurned the idea of like you know I want to study people well it's funny actually because I had no idea what anthropology was before I got to university um, it's not something that's typically taught in high school, so it's not. It's usually not something that people go into university and say, "I want to be an anthropologist." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was it was a typical case of just me taking 
an elective while in university. And I thought, hey, I really like this. And it's and I didn't start too far away from it. So I started with psychology, okay. actually, and took an anthropology elective course, thought to myself, I like this. I want to take more courses in this. And then it mm-hmm. just it just developed from there. I took more courses, more electives, more extensions, more versions of anthropology. And right. it just it led to a natural interest. And then one day I said, hey, I think I'll make this my major. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and eight years later, here That's I am. That's crazy, <laughs> Still dude. in school, still studying anthropology, and I don't regret. But like you said, like almost, almost done now. Almost done. So yeah, I have I have two years. I'm about halfway into the last degree, and, wow. and I don't think they'll let me come back anymore. After <laughs> yeah. that, honestly, they're but, like, dude, um, go like go take a vacation, man. That's like, right. Yeah, get out no, of here. It's um. So I don't I don't have any more courses to take. I, I think I've taken some courses twice at Dow. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I've overlapped and, and here we are, here we are. Wow, dude. <laughs> wow. Good for you, man. When I, the second that I got uh, done school out of there, <laughs> yeah. like kudos, kudos to you for, uh, for sticking around. What's something that like, you know, when you were getting into anthropology, that was like a bit of a, holy shit. Like, this is like a really cool thing that like kind of sparked, like, just, yeah. just give me like a little tidbit of something that you were just like, wow, that's something that like. You obviously picked it as your major. Something, you know, a bunch of things, I'm sure. But, like, is there anything that sticks out to you in terms of a wow moment? Yeah, so anthropology has changed over the years. And what it started out was, or what it started out as, was the typical person going across the world, Mm. living somewhere super remote. So Mm. let's say an island that no one has heard about ever before 100 years ago or 200 years ago. They go over, they try to learn the natives' language, right. how do the natives live, what rules govern their society, mm-hmm. um, what systems are in place, because it's it's very much different. And, and you're going and you're going to write about it, you're going to come back and you're going to show everyone, this is this super remote and obscure place that you've never heard of before. Mm-hmm. These are these rules and politics and languages that you've never heard of before. Yeah. So it was it was things like that because when you do anthropology, you take a history of anthropology course. Okay. So it started out what as me hearing about things like that. So an example would be someone going to this African country and learning about witchcraft. Mm-hmm. People literally believe in witchcraft, yeah. and it makes when you think about it from our point of view, it seems like it's odd. It seems totally. like it's, it's a weird practice, but then. When you think about it from a more local point of view, mm-hmm. people use witchcraft to explain rational things that happen to them. Right. And so people, we think of something like it was a coincidence. Something yeah, happened yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone else across the world might say this happened because someone put a spell on someone else. Wow. And it yeah. was, yeah, that's, yeah. that explains a coincidence. So who are we to say that that line of thinking is wrong when yeah. we can't explain why a coincidence happens? That's really cool. So it was things like that that really led me to say, wow, this is this is pretty cool. Yeah. Understanding things that are so much different, so odd to us, mm-hmm. but makes sense when someone else from you, you understand it from a more local point of view. That framework that you're that you're talking about, how does mental health fit into that for you? Mental health fits into that as in there are different ways to understand what mental health is. Mm. There's different ways to understand things that are associated with mental health. So 
so if we have here in the West, we have the DSM. That's mm-hmm. the book that that's basically the book of mental health. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. For lack of a better term. And we understand pretty much everything according to what's in the DSM. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a dictionary of mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, but then if you took that DSM to one of those more local spots, an obscure island, let's say. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They don't know what the DSM is. No. They don't care. They don't care. Right. So how can we say that the DSM is the all-knowing being mm. of what mental health is when there are people across the world that have no idea what's what's in the DSM? Right. And they don't think about mental health that way. Right. Um, so on a more fundamental level, what is mental health? It means different things to different people, right? 100%. So that's where it comes in, I think. Yeah. yeah. What does it mean to you? What does it mean to me? Well, I want to say that mental health is a judgment on how healthy the mind is. Mm. But then again, what does health mean? What does it yeah. mean to be healthy? Yeah. So that that's essentially that's the problem. A with, constant it, evolving, it's a constant like evolving it's thing, its own. Right? It's a it's a living being. Like it's, it's a living it's a living being. It's something that's always changing. Wow. And what mental health means to me might not be what it means to you. But totally, who's wrong? Who's right? Exactly. That's that's, that's the no so cool, man. That's so interesting. So it's like it, it, fundamentally, you're basically just talking about like understanding people, like just like understanding the perspectives of people. Without I, that's just so interesting to me because I'm just trying to think like so much of even growing up in a small town, like you know Saint Stephen, New Brunswick, talking about mental health there versus talking about mental health once I got to Toronto. This is the same country, same, you know, everything, but it was so drastically different. And so, like, even just, like, the the nuances of something like that, let alone you go to a complete other part of the world and start having these conversations, it's 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 wild. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, so we, we've been talking so far about comparing mental health between different countries, but yeah. even within the same country or within the same social group, wild. there's a difference. Massive. Here, you and, you and I are here doing this podcast, but mm. we may have very different conceptions of what mental health means. Absolutely. Right? So it's, it's very much studying anthropology, just to, to loop back, is mm. very much understanding something from a local point of view. Local and that's why view. an anthropologist mm. would go and they would inter- interview an individual rather than something like sociology where you would look at it from a more social group mm. this is what a social group thinks like anthropology goes in and say says this is what the local actor on the wow. ground thinks like you got you have seven billion subjects a, that's pretty I cool will never run out of people no no dude from that a good thing yeah. and, and that's and it's so funny because i think that like so many of you know even tying that back into what we're doing now with like the podcast so much of like what i've done is is you know I, some of my favorite conversations that I've had have been with people like my roommate who I've just like has hopped on a podcast with him in my living room with another one of our childhood best friends and talked about mental health because it's like even though these guys aren't professional advocates or PhD uh, candidates or, you know, or whatever or massively in the public eye, everyone has something that they can talk about where it's like they're going through this like lived experience and they just want to have an opportunity to share it. So it, and it's it's to to take that in sometimes is just like the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting to see how people will think through and navigate things. How do people define things in their mind? You don't, like you said, you don't have to be having all these different fancy degrees to be qualified to talk about this stuff. Mental health from the way that we understand it applies to everyone. Absolutely. So 
everyone has their own opinions. Everyone thinks through it differently. And one of the takeaways for me is that there isn't a wrong or right way of thinking through these things. Mm -hmm. We can't say that one way is better of thinking about mental health than the other. So to me, it's just so interesting getting anybody's Mm -hmm. point of view, any type of rationalization how do you rationalize what mental health is how do you Mm -hmm. define it so Mm. that's so neat Matt. well let's talk about now let's talk about suicide because now we're kind of getting into one of the most heavily stigmatized areas and and even words itself like in the mental health kind of landscape and that's something that you've dedicated a large portion of your education to it sounds like talk to me about that because that's that's interesting because, I mean, just having a conversation about suicide alone, let alone under- trying to understand it from people's perspectives around the world. I mean, like, what does that work look like? And and just kind of like, where do you hope to go with it? What are you trying to get out of understanding this work? Yeah. So as you said, suicide is something that's really heavily stigmatized. Big time. But one of my favorite things that I've learned lately, or you could say it's a quote, I've read an article recently that has said, by talking about suicide you're making it not stigmatized. Mm -hmm. So we think that suicide is such a sensitive subject, so maybe we shouldn't talk about it. But Mm -hmm. if you look on the flip side of that argument, by talking about it, you're doing something good. By putting work out there about suicide, Mm -hmm. you're contributing to something. You're contributing to destigmatizing it. Suicide is something that happens in this world. It happens across the world in different contexts Mm -hmm. for different reasons. Mm -hmm. So why not make it something that's openly talked about? And so to go back to that quote that I was talking about, the article argued that by in an interview, yes, it is a risk when you ask people in research about suicide because it can bring up past traumas. It could Mm -hmm. make someone literally suicidal. But at the same time, by asking someone about suicide, making it an openly talked about subject, it doesn't necessarily increase the danger of suicide, but Mm -hmm. actually helps to reduce it. I believe it. So I I just think that contributing to a body of work on any sensitive subject like that is worthwhile. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I love about what you're doing because I feel like so much of why you're doing it aligns so much with why I love doing this. Um, You know, the context of just sharing a conversation in a way that is like, it's human. And I mean, like, you know, I've got, I've had friends that have came to me, you know, with suicidal ideation and stuff. And I remember there was one time where, um, cause like who I am, like, I love to like, I love to crack jokes and, and make light of everything. Like that was, you know, with the podcast, I always joked about like when I first started the podcast, I was like, this is like a spoonful of sugar. It's not backed by anything. It's not backed by science, but if it makes you feel a little bit better then fucking, I did my job. So I remember, you know, I've had friends who have came to me and they're, you know, having a really tough time. And you, you know, I remember I cracked a joke about one of them uh, and, and one of the things that they said, because they said it as they were kind of like, you know, they were like, I just, I just think this. And I was joking with them. And I was like laughing with them and they started to laugh and they were like, why, you know, why aren't you taking this? Like, why not? Why are you taking this seriously? But why aren't you almost like scared of this? And I was like, well, you're just you're just going through it like nothing changes. My my relationship with you hasn't changed. You're still my friend who we crack jokes and stuff all the time. Why would I all of a sudden start treating you like this little fragile, you know, egg? I understand that you're at a tipping point in your life, but I'm not I'm not here to be anything except just to support you through all of this and act the exact same way. And they were like, "Wow, what a and it and it seemed like within 10 minutes they went from critical, you know, oh my gosh, I'm I'm done 
to, okay, let's, let's talk, let's have a conversation. And I was like, that's how easy it is. Like it's, it's, I think so many people, and I've had conversations where people are always worried about saying the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Somebody's worried about pushing people over the edge. But I think like to not forget what that person is to you, to remain that person through those ridiculous times, just because somebody is like struggling with, with suicidal ideation doesn't mean that they're anybody but who they are going through a tough time. And it's just like, it's just a great thing to be able to, to be able to share this kind of stuff and normalize it. Cause it's like, Oh my God, Wow. Look how much this means to somebody just to have a normal conversation when they're going through a crazy, crazy time. Yeah, I mean, definitely sympathizing with people about these subjects, making it, like you said, an openly talked about thing. And mm-hmm. someone that experiences suicidal ideation, that's not your identity, right? Yeah. That's yes. not people, oh my God. people shouldn't behave or treat you differently based on your mental health. Yeah. You're a separate person. Suicide, suicidal ideation, it, it doesn't determine who you are. Yeah. It happens to a lot of people, and it happens to a lot of people without us knowing about it. Totally. It's impossible to look at someone and look directly into their mind, tell, define their mental health. You're absolutely right. So the the best that we can do is is treat people the same if we didn't know they were suicidal or not make that part mm-hmm. of their the way that we treat them or the way that we address them or the, the way that they are in society, mm-hmm. make suicide an openly talked about subject, make it something that people don't have to feel like you can't crack jokes about yeah. a sensitive subject or you can't lighten the mood yeah. at all. Um, it's make the best out of the circumstances, right? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I, I just think that it's like, I love what you said about um, suicidal ideation not becoming who you are. Yeah. It's just a part. It's just a chapter in the story. It's it's something that you've went through. But I know so many people who, um, like, basically get almost labeled for being suicidal. And I remember even going back to high school, and you'd hear, "Oh, that's the suicidal girl," or "That's the suicidal boy." And you're like, wow, to think that like by going through a tough time, all of a sudden that not only just becomes a part of your life that you have to go through that's excruciating and it's, it's grueling. I mean, fuck, I've been there. It's, it's, it's terrible. You're like, you feel like you're just like staring against a blank wall and you're just like looking behind you. There's another wall. You're looking to the side like, Oh, this is, doesn't seem like there's anything going on here. Yeah. Yeah. Those labels, that's terrible. The thing about those labels is that suicide is a stigmatized subject. Yeah. So that is why these labels happen. Mm -hmm. If you take something that's not stigmatized, like, that person is happy. We don't go around <laughs> saying that's that happy, that's happy person. Joe over there. That's, that's right. We don't, <laughs> yeah. we don't say things like that. We only say those things if, if they're stigmatized subjects. Mm-hmm. Another example would be people that get stigmatized based on having a particular health condition. Yeah. That's that person that is terminally ill. Mm-hmm. People get labeled that way because those things are difficult to talk about. They're yeah. stigmatized in society. Mm-hmm. They're sensitive. Um, so in my mind, the way to combat that or the way that to contribute change is to make these things not stigmatized. Totally. If suicide wasn't something that, that was a very stigmatized subject, if it was openly talked about as mental health is becoming, becoming more yes, slowly, of course, slowly, yeah. if it wasn't stigmatized then people, I would think would reduce those labels. People wouldn't be known as someone that's suicidal because we recognize that that's something that can easily happen to anyone yeah. in society. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's the thing is like, 
this this idea that anybody is impervious to mental health challenges and, ex- and extreme mental health challenges. I think the pandemic has showed us that like everything can change on a dime. I know people who appeared to be the most like sturdy rock solid mentally people who have like since like you know even reached out to me and been talking about oh you know this is something that uh, has been really tough for me and I've I've been in a really dark spot and it's like after all of this to still hold this kind of like bias against people who are just living their lives and and have ran into some like really tough obstacles that obviously are going to make you feel like shit it just seems so played out And I'm uh, hopefully, you know, like conversations like this become a lot more normalized. And it's like, it's one of those things where you don't have to sit down and, and by no means you never have to sit down and make this into a podcast interview or make this into a grandiose thing. Like you can sit and have these conversations with your friends and it doesn't have to be like a sit down and everybody's like, you know, wearing like dress clothes and you're just kind of like an intervention. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Everyone's sitting in a circle and you go, so we hear you're suicidal. It's like, you know, you're able just to be like, okay, like let's just, let's just chat about this and let's have this open human dialogue because I care about you and I want you to be healthy. And I'm not going to like, I'm not going to hold this against my God, hold, hold suicidal ideation against somebody. Like, come on. Like, what are we doing? (laughs) Yeah, no, it's like you said, it's just, it's got to be something that you can sit down. You tell your friends about your day. You tell them about your mental health. Like, it's something that it has to be openly talked about. It's something that's has to be normalized. It's part of our lives. Mm -hmm. No one is impervious to it, as you said. Show me the person that has perfect mental health and is defending every attacker yeah yeah yeah, so it's um it's something that affects everyone across the world in different ways well how about you man because i i've noticed with my own work that working in the mental health space it can get tough at times you are you know i i find at times especially when people are sharing their stories with you when you have a lot of when you're surrounded by a lot of really tough emotions sometimes it's easy to kind of take things on yourself or feel like you're shouldering a bit of a load you know, so I have to work on, you know, that's something that like I always am conscious of. Okay, how am I feeling right now? What kind of barriers, like what kind of uh, boundaries do I need to set to protect my, like protect my own mental health? Yeah. You're studying something that is, you know, one of the darkest parts of mental health. How do you take care of yourself being around that so often? Yeah, so we, we call something like this embodied cost. Okay. So, of course, someone like me that's working in a sensitive area and this extends way past suicide as well there's so many sensitive subjects but there is a cost to the Mm. researcher there's a cost to the participants in an interview when they talk about suicide of course but there's a cost to the researcher as well so as i said no one's impervious even me who i know that suicide is not a stigmatized subject for me personally Mm. that doesn't that doesn't mean that I can go through any interview and not have that fall on me as of well. Of course, right? yeah. So it's the best thing that you can do is just you gotta you have to try to make the best of out of what comes to you in life. Mm-hmm. So me personally, as you probably are, when you talk about these things, when you when you work in mental health, you are self aware enough to know at least to try to balance your own life in a way that yeah. makes you comfortable, right? Yeah. So me, I know when it when it gets tough, I have to make changes. Mm-hmm. I have to make myself comfortable. And you have to prioritize your own mental health before anything yeah, else. Absolutely. So if that if I have to do thirty interviews over the span of a few months and I'm finding after the th- the third interview that hey already I need yeah. to I need to switch things up here because I can't do this mm-hmm. for a variety of reasons. 
you have to make you have to be confident enough you have to be flexible enough to make Mm -hmm. that change because at the end of the day you can't do anything without your mind you can't do anything without taking care of yourself first absolutely and so it's just it's a vicious circle if you persevere and you try to be that person that can't handle what's coming to them yeah yeah that's that's my philosophy regarding that which i think which i think is just great like and it's so true i think um you know a way that i've kind of always said it is like when you have somebody who's coming to you and if your cup's not full to be able to help and and you know get i remember like even even in past relationships that i you know that i've been in personally that idea of like giving 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 when you have nothing to give really and you're already running on fumes it's tough and yeah exactly and and how can i as a researcher sympathize and ask someone about mm -hmm. suicide when myself i'm going into the interview with my glass empty yeah how can i how can i do that ethically fair to you not fair to them that's what i'm saying so like i said regarding those things you have to take care of yourself before Mm -hmm. you get into those things and you you have to prioritize and be flexible enough to make the changes that are necessary to prioritize yourself. And th- of course that's easier said than done too, I'll right? Do it always. Because it's some for some people they can't just go and change life circumstances. Me, I, I do my own work, I make my own schedule, but mm-hmm. for many that it's not that easy. They right. work a nine to five job or they mm-hmm. work different hours and they can't just change things. They they're not their own bosses, yeah. right? So it's not easy. But at the end of the day, your mind you need you need yourself. You, you do. Yourself. You, need you do. Yourself. Well, you know, you're you have one relationship your entire life that will last your entire life, like, and that you have no choice over. And it's like that relationship with yourself. And if you're not nurturing that relationship, good luck with a lot of the other, you know, a lot of the other things that come crossing your path. You got to be able to come back to yourself and have that be a, in a way, like a sanctuary kind of thing. I mean, that's yeah. what I've kind of seen it as. Yeah, I mean, the saying goes, the only heart that you'll have for your whole life is your own, hey, right? Absolutely. So that uh, extends to everything. So so what do you do to take care of your mental health? Then? Like, what you know, what are some things that uh, are part of your care, self-care routine? Yeah, so I think you have to... Be, so I try as much to be comfortable in my own skin. So I, mm. I do... I do hobbies. I, I I do the things that I like to do, and Absolutely. and when things get the most tough, that's that's the time where you have to do the things that you most like to do. Absolutely, you have to yep. take the time mm-hmm. off, and you you gotta you have to make your life the way that you want it to be. So, mm-hmm. as I said before, when things get tough, when I can't do something, you have to first of all you have to recognize that you can't do it. Yeah. And oh, dude, that, that's, that's the first that's the first step. That's and that is sometimes. not easy. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. you you have your own ego, right? You yeah. have or you have circumstances that you can't change. Mm-hmm. But getting to that recognition, recognizing that I need to I need to lessen the load here. Yeah. So when when I get to that step, I I, ba- I back away. Yeah. I, I just I try to look at it. What's going on here? Mm-hmm. Try to be self-aware enough to know. I can't handle this. I have to take a step back, do some things that I like doing, Mm -hmm. hobbies, whether it's sitting in bed watching Netflix, Mm -hmm. whether it's going out and doing something like I personally like golfing and takes my mind off things or going on hikes, things like that. But whatever it is that you that makes you happy you got to step back and you have to do those things because those things exist to make you happy. You like them for a reason. Mm -hmm. And so 
take a refresher. That's what mm-hmm. I do. I take a refresher. I think that's great. Yeah. yeah. And, and just to have that like self-awareness, I think that's something that I, you know, I've struggled with my own life. I know a lot of people do struggle with is recognizing when you need it. Because I think that like so often I found I can let things go too far before I have that. I'm like, no, 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 I got it under control. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And then it gets to that point where I'm like, I'm not good. I'm not good. Everything's kind of like starting to, to crumble around versus it's reactionary versus precautionary. And I think that that's something that I preach so much with like the podcast is, you know, in terms of just like working on your mental health, so much of the actions that you take should be precautionary in terms of, I know that these things make me feel good. So I'm not only going to do them when I'm feeling bad, I'm going to do them regularly. You know, I'm always going to mix in a little bit of that self-care into every day or into every week so that I maintain that level of refreshment. And and it's not just like an all at once kind of thing where I burn myself out, sit on the couch for two days with a face mask on and I'm just like, ha, oh, zen. Like you got to like, you got to kind of like, you know, it's a little thing. Oh, you know, I'd really love a coffee right now. I'm going to take a 10 minute break from work, go for a walk around the block, stop at my favorite coffee shop grab a coffee and then I'll come back to work and I'll like take that time. I won't bring headphones or anything like that. I'll just be out in nature, take a breather. And that kind of stuff I've noticed is just like super small things that make a monster impact for me personally. Yeah. And I think that what you just said basically extends more generally to mental health. Mm. So you, we think many people would think of mental health as just being reserved for emergency situations. Absolutely. Oh my God. Really yeah. Say it again for the people in the em- back. Emer- like, that's right. But it's, we think of mental health as, depression people yes. that are already yep. in depression or people that experience other really high extremes mm-hmm. or low extremes of mental health but we have to think of mental health as not just the emergency situation but the precautionary the always ongoing maintaining mm-hmm. of mental health mm-hmm. the the keeping yourself day to day even if you're not experiencing an extreme let's talk about mental health and on the consistency of it the the always ongoing, the keeping it what is normal, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's not reserved for those emergency situations, no, like you said. Not right? at all, not at all. I really want you to get into, when we were chatting a little bit last night and you were talking about, because you're heading to South Korea, correct? Yeah, correct. Um, I'd love to kind of know, because like when we were kind of talking about the the you know trip that you have coming up and and finalizing your, your doctorate, it was it was really interesting when you were talking about this this pendulum swing of the extremes of, of mental health and especially in regards to suicide, um, and then in terms of how it relates to being a member of society. And I'd really love to like get into that a little bit because I want to hear more about what that looks like. If you can kind of share with everyone what you shared with me last night. Yeah. So so there's a theory that I'm using that I'm approaching suicide by mm-hmm. as would most researchers. Of course, right? yeah. So in this theory, basically there's two things that we pay attention to when we look at suicide. There's something that's called regulation. Okay. So the extent to which someone is basically controlled by society. Okay. And then there's integration. So the extent to which people belong to mm. social groups. Okay. So what do these things mean? High and low amounts of regulation or integration lead people to commit suicide more. Mm -hmm. So what, for example, high regulation, someone that's so, they feel like they're trapped in society. Mm -hmm. There's, they can't be them own their own selves. Someone that's, for example, in a schooling environment where they feel like if they make one mistake, their whole life is over. Someone that's lowly regulated, doesn't know exactly how to define themselves in society. So you mm-hmm. think of someone that they don't know who they are. They don't know who they want to be. Right. 
they don't know what they want in the future. They can't figure out. That happens to a lot of people, right? Mm -hmm. It's relevant. On the other hand, and these are, of course, related in terms of integration. So if someone is socially isolated, we see that a lot too. People Mm -hmm. don't, they don't feel like they belong to groups. Mm -hmm. They don't feel like they have enough friends or they have enough friends, but they don't feel like they're attached despite having friends. And then last people that are so integrated. So this is an extreme example, but of course people that sacrifice their own individual hood for belonging to something. So Mm. think of someone that they have a bunch of friends, but they know themselves. These friends aren't working individually for me, Mm -hmm. but I still want to be part of this group. So they're sacrificing their individual hood. So the theory is, is that all four points of these may lead someone to commit suicide. Wow. So the work that you're going to do in terms of going over and, and being in Korea how how does this relate to this theory that you're just talking about? Yeah, so in Korea, I'm looking at two things. So in terms of regulation, the control by society, high and low amounts of control. So one thing in Korea that I think I will find is that people that are a part of the schooling system, notoriously known as being super competitive mm-hmm. and intense in Korea, people that are in this education system, which you have these really high social expectations Mm -hmm. by your family to go to university. You can't really avoid it Mm. or you're stigmatized by society. People that are in this education system are so controlled, so regulated by society Mm. that they have no way out and suicide is an escape from that. Wow. On the other hand, you have low regulation. So people aren't controlled in Korea. What this looks like is that people are constantly battling between what they believe are Korean traditional values, Mm. cultural things about Korea specifically. Right. And then also these new Western values that are coming Mm. in, in a country like Korea Mm -hmm. that is so colonized, that is so imperialized by other powerful groups like Western culture. Mm Mm-hmm people that are in their 20s and 30s are battling. They're saying, my grandparents and parents' generations are preaching these super traditional values. Right. But we have all these Western influences mm. coming into South Korea and, and basically teaching me to look out for the individual, mm-hmm. not look out for family. Right, right. So people are constantly battling. Do I, do I act of, as this collective person that's always taking care of family all around me? like my parents and grandparents do? Or do I look out for myself? Mm. Do I try to be that individual like they are in the West? Like I'm seeing all of this Western influence come in. So people are constantly battling between that and they don't know how to uh, define themselves in society. Huh. That's so interesting. That's so interesting to think of like the, 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 the scope of it all. Cause like, I, I feel like it's so easy to kind of, you know, even when you're, you're talking about that, you know, I, I feel that pull to, uh, yeah, but like, of course you always just focus on yourself, but I'm saying that from somebody who's, that's always been the, you know, the priority. I can't imagine that, you know, the, the difficult side of just like, oh my God, like this is a complete shift in culture. This isn't just like a shift in oneself. Like this is a shift in the entire dynamic to which I operate. 
that's stressful. Like, you know, of course I can completely understand the, oh, if I was, you know, if you're in the structured school system and, and that would be so much. But the other side of it, like, yeah, that's, that's really, really cool, man. Yeah. Cultural continuity, like continuing a culture, mm-hmm. that's really important in right. terms of suicide. Right. So okay. if you look at another example, look at indigenous peoples in Canada, which is a super sensitive topic as totally. well. Super controversial. Many indigenous peoples in Canada, if you look at the rates of suicide, sometimes they're three times higher than the 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 total Canadian population. Yeah. So this idea of cultural continuity, it's clear that many indigenous peoples throughout time, historically in Canada, but even now, they have to they can't continue their culture because you have they're they're a minority group in Canada that is has been historically exploited, mm-hmm. forced into residential schools, yeah. forced to change, forced to learn English mm-hmm. or French, forced to change their ways of living. Yeah. It, indigenous culture becomes this thing that's almost thrown out the door for yeah. the settler population. So that idea that culture and maintaining your own culture, what's important to you, is so important to suicide. Mm-hmm. So ask yourself, indigenous peoples in Canada clearly aren't able to continue their culture in the same way as a more powerful group. Mm-hmm. So, And doesn't that seem like a huge related. issue? It is a like, huge issue. And perhaps that's related to suicide, yeah. right? Yeah, of course. If you If you can't continue what's important to you or the ways that you live... Of course, that's going to make you feel like you don't belong in society or yeah. or be related to suicide. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, especially with the, it was so you know, this surge of information surrounding residential schools that had happened over this uh, this past like six months was something that was you know I've I've been really fortunate to talk with different um, uh, indigenous mental health advocates uh, on the podcast and it was so interesting to to hear their perspective. And I think it ties so much into the work that you do of hearing, you know, for this to be for this, like for your history with this land to run so deep and be so rich and then to have it be completely just exploited and ignored and pushed to the side. And Hey, if you like, you know, there are reserves that don't have clean drinking water. Hey, you want clean drinking water? Move to Toronto. Like, because, you know, become part Come, you know, well, come over here. Come over here because this is where this is where we see you as valuable to us. There, well, if you want to, you know, go through those conditions and and see your fi- people suffer, yeah, you can stay there, of course. But if you want to reap the benefits of the society that we've built, not that you've built, that we've built, that 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 to me is just it's a it's a level of evil that I guess once you understand that social anthropology side of it, you'd be like, wow, <laughs> like that is there's there's levels to this and this one's fucked up yeah and that's and that's super interesting because if you look so in my master's what i did was i looked at how is indigenous suicide in canada typically shown in the media Mm. which is oh and we know the media is not ran by indigenous peoples obviously with basically no input from them and a lot of the things that you see is that indigenous peoples themselves are blamed Mm. for their quote-unquote problems so you see the media talking about things like indigenous peoples in canada are committing suicide more because they have more alcoholism or they have poorer living conditions they're living in poverty but ask yourself is these are structural things how do people aren't just born alcoholics people aren't just people are born into poverty but why 
you mm-hmm. have to look at this uh, from a more structural level. So Absolutely. how, why are people becoming alcoholics? On trauma cycles. Well, trauma cycles. And you also have this idea of intergenerational trauma that many indigenous peoples are going through. Huge. You have Huge. these structural issues, like you said, about clean drinking water, that that's not people's fault. Yeah. That's not indigenous people's fault Absolutely. that they don't have clean drinking water. So what was interesting about the articles is that they didn't ever talk about structural things like no, that. They don't no. talk about, Hey, the Canadian government doesn't support these people. These reserves yeah. are in terrible conditions. They want to pinpoint the individual behaviors like alcoholism. Mm-hmm. They don't want to talk about the things that actually need to be changed. Of course. So it's, Dude, it's super a, interesting. A lot of work to be done. eh? Well, My yeah. goodness. <laughs> there's a lot of work to be done. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There definitely is. And that's, yeah, that's always one of those things like as you talk to different and, and that's why I, I'm really excited to to continue to like keep in touch with you as you continue to do your work, because I think that like, you know, something that's been so eye opening for me is to be able to talk to people w- within different groups who belong to different groups. And, and they talk about the nuances of why they suffer the way that they suffer. And it's things that you just would have like you never would have thought. And it's so interesting once you actually give somebody 30 seconds to tell you about the human side, their human condition, and and to explain just that little bit. Like, you, of course, get all the headlines, naturally. But then those, na- those headlines are creating biases that then you carry with you. And when you give somebody 15 seconds, 30 seconds to, like, actually showcase what it's actually like to be an Indigenous person living on a reserve in Canada, you're like, oh, wow. Wow, I'm missing out on a lot of details here. Like you are, yeah, yeah for yeah, sure. Yeah. And and like I said, those things don't. Sh- those media reports they don't show that side no, of it. And no. people that have gone and and like anthropologists that have gone to reserves and asked Indigenous peoples themselves, mm-hmm. why is suicide? Yeah, what a crazy happened? idea! Yeah, actually, talk to the that, people living in the circumstances. Exactly, wow, but my God. ironically, it doesn't happen as much as you think, <laughs> yeah. but. Those answers that people give, indigenous peoples are giving, are not the same that the media gives. No. So you have this disconnect. Who do you trust? Do you trust the people that are committing suicide themselves about suicide? Or do you trust the media who actually doesn't talk to these people? Trust, you know whoever who's just like hearing a thing and just like it's coming down the news wire and they just pull it off the screen. Okay, type it out, send it off. No emotional attachment to that at all. It's just, you know, I'm just reporting. That's uh, it's really neat, man. It's yeah. really neat. Well, where, yeah. where do you hope to go with your research? Like what? Like I always love to hear about, you know, of course the steps are being taken, but in which direction are those steps going? Which direction? What do you mean? I mean, like what's something if you could kind of like at, at where you're at right now, you look and go, that'd be one hell of a feather in my cap. That would be one, like, that's something that I would love to work towards or love to understand better. Something that I would love to kind of, like, have influence on that just means a lot to me right now. Yeah, so, so in, in that regard, I honestly, honestly would like to make a contribution to policy. Mm. Suicide prevention yeah. programs. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> you have things like, for example, my research now is in South Korea. Yes. So you have efforts that are taken in South Korea to reduce suicide. Mm-hmm. You have things like p- the government building barriers on bridges to dissuade people. Mm-hmm. You have actually the government also and private companies writing inspirational messages on bridges. Right. Saying, are you eating well? Things mm. like that. Yeah, yeah, In yeah. order to dissuade people. Yeah. Ironically, what, that, what happened after that was that 
that increased to suicide. Yeah. Because people associated the bridge with suicide. Mm. So my the thing that I when I look at that, I think these efforts are focused on people who are already suicidal. Mm-hmm. Ooh, so I want to I want to promote this idea that hey, we have to we have to start we have to rewind a little bit. Yeah. Why are we focused on people that are already suicidal in prevention mm-hmm. policy mm-hmm. when we can instead rewind and look at what makes people suicidal in the first place? Absolutely. So let's stop doing things like banning pesticides, which is another thing that they do in the country. Instead of doing that, let's ask ourselves why would someone want to ingest pesticides in the first place? Yeah. So by going and asking people themselves in South Korea, why do people commit suicide? Why mm-hmm. do you think? Asking the people themselves, just like the thing that the media doesn't do in Canada, going and asking indigenous peoples themselves, yeah. why do you think people commit suicide? To me, by getting those answers, I can propose more contextual prevention ideas yeah. Prevention Absolutely. programs, prevention policies, things yeah, like that. I, I love that. I love and and I'd love to kind of get your take on so I had somebody ask me the other day about um it was for an interview and they were saying, you know, how how do we really move the dial? Like in your perspective, like how do we really move the dial? And they had brought it brought up a you know, something very similar where it was a very um, you know, I guess you could kind of say like addressing the people who are already suicidal and it being a very kind of reactionary, like, hey, how do we like not necessarily help somebody or give them the education or whatever but how do we just like make them not suicidal and i was like i was kind of thinking about it and it's something i've been thinking about for a while and i love the idea of the fact that like the impact has to start young one of my favorite groups of people to talk to are middle school kids because i know that like that's an age where you first start that's where i first started to kind of like develop that self-awareness of like oh the things are a little bit wrong like things don't feel right and happy and there seems to be a little bit of something's up and i didn't know how to articulate it at the time but one of my yeah, like I love going in and doing talks with that age group because when you're able to kind of say, hey, talk with your friends now, start like establish this now. So by the time you get to high school, this is second nature. This isn't one of those things where it's like, OK, now you're a 25 year old man unable to speak, like even unable to, to process the emotions of that he's going through. This is just this is just part of who this is part of the daily dialect. How are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm feeling kind of like I'm, I'm just feeling a little bit stressed out today. Oh, is there anything like do you need? You don't get anything off your chest. Can I hold space for you at all? No, you know what? I think I'm okay. But like, I, and I appreciate knowing that you're there for me and that kind of stuff. Starting that at, at that age, I think is just huge. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree on that. And I think there's this idea, and we we talked about this before, earlier mm-hmm. in the in the podcast, and saying that there's this idea that by talking about suicide, it increases the risk. So, so let's say something like a school board says, we don't want to teach people that are too young about suicide because it might make suicide an option to them. Right. It might make them think that it's going to put it in their heads. It's going to put it in their heads. It's going to infect them and they're going to commit suicide, but that's not necessarily what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's the other side to the argument where you think about, if you start educating people about suicide, it's going to both destigmatize it mm-hmm. and it's going to make people more aware of why people commit suicide, mm-hmm. why, how to get out of these situations, how to take care of your mental health. Yep. So if you take sensitive subjects and you make them more talked about, 
that doesn't necessarily increase the risk to suicide. Mm-hmm. It might actually help to reduce it. Yeah. So that is something that you can start by moving the dial. Mm-hmm. That's an action that we can take and say, hey, we have to stop perpetuating this idea that knowledge equals the worst consequence. Thank you. My goodness. It's so true. And I think also like delivery in the me- like, or the messages in the delivery as well a little bit too. I remember having uh, suicide um, assemblies back in high school. Yeah. They were terrifying, dude. They were so scary. We had like, you know, I, it was it was all like we would have a mother come in. I remember this was like every year. There was like the same mother would come in every year and she would tell the story about her son who committed suicide, uh, died by suicide. And she would just break down and it would just be like this one of the it would be one of those things where it was like. You know, it was. I think it was tried to show the effect that it had on other people. But if anything, it, I, I just at the time, especially as somebody who was like sitting in the crowd, like suicidal. I was like, well, this just makes me feel worse. Yeah, like that's not the way to do it. No, for sure, exactly. Right? I yeah. was like, I was like, this makes me feel even more guilty about feeling this way. Versus like when you you like do what we talked about before and it becomes a normal part of just the dialect and it's precautionary versus like, Hey, look how sad you made somebody kind of thing. And I understand that that woman, like, you know, all power to, she was telling her story and she was, you know, whatever, but just like the way that it was all packaged, especially by the school as well. The school, like, like it was almost like they just kind of like very quietly shuffled everybody into the assembly. It wasn't like, Hey guys, we get to have a really open conversation. We get to, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was just like, just get in there and hear this woman, you know, how should you like talk about the blah, blah, blah. And it's it's really cool to think of like, you know, pairing the kind of work that you do and the, you know, what we're doing now and marrying all that where it's like you're actually able to get the research done that's that's people centered research and then being delivered in like a human centric way. I just think is like, you know, you're already knocking them down. Like, well, I mean, you know, it extends to even just talking about this podcast, mm. you know, having a lighthearted conversation about mental health. Can you, would you, you wouldn't say that your listeners are negatively impacting their mental health by listening to this podcast, right? You're doing something good here. Hell yeah. So that's, if we have these kind of conversations about suicide, if we taught these kind of conversations about suicide, not trying to scare people with crazy examples or super detailed accounts, having lighthearted conversations about Mm -hmm. normalizing mental health, you can't tell me that that wouldn't make at least a small difference. And, and, and a small on. difference given the current landscape is a massive difference. Exactly. So any we take any differences in Absolutely. terms of things like that. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Dude, Bryce, this has been a lot of fun. Like this has been like really cool, man. I really I'm I'm so glad that we had the chance to sit down and do this. Uh and I mean, obviously, best of luck with all of your research and everything that you're Thank doing. You. Before we go, at the end of every podcast episode, I like to give out a challenge to my listeners. Um, something that they can implement into like, you know, their, their day, their week, their month, whatever it may be, something to help them live a happier, more fulfilled, better life. I'm sure we've already kind of touched on so many different things that people can implement into their lives. But if you were to kind of give one thing that maybe has worked for you or, you know, you learned about through your research, what's a challenge that you would put forth to anybody who's listening to this podcast right now? A challenge? I would say that Find something that makes you happy in your life and do it more. Mm. Just do it more. Dude, so simple and just so beautiful. It's simple, but you know what? Maybe it's not simple to some people. That's, and that's yeah, that's, that's the challenge that's in point. it, right? Yep. So it's it's it may not it might not be a challenge to some people. It might mm. be a challenge and but just just find it and do it more. That's so great. Yeah. 
Good stuff, man. Hey, I appreciate you, bro. And, and honestly, best of luck. And look for it anytime you want to come back and and try more. I'm sure we're gonna need a lot of really positive feedback. Like this is this this podcast. There's a definitely an element of uh, personal like. This is this one was a cool one for me for sure. I spent, I love the idea. You know, I've had multiple men in my life come up to me and talk about how it's so cool to hear one person talk about it. Let alone like hearing you know a couple young guys and East Coast Maritimers kind of thing shooting the shit about uh, about a topic that's been so stigmatized for so long. I just think it's it's great. So I appreciate you taking the time and yeah, thank you. Man. Yeah, thanks. Really, truly. Thanks a lot for having me on, man. Amazing. Appreciate it. And that, folks, is a conversation between two young men about suicide. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to go too far out of bounds here, but that almost seemed like a normal conversation. No. Yeah, like you guys could just have a normal conversation, and the topic be about suicide. I know, and it's like, don't say it. Normal? Oh my goodness, we've had a breakthrough to everyone out there. It might be uncomfortable at first to push against those social norms, but the benefits to opening clear lines of communication surrounding suicide is the kind of preventative shit that Bryce was talking about. I promise you, we don't make very many promises on the podcast. I promise you these conversations are impossible and having them is the, is, is what saves lives. Say it with your chest if you're struggling because there are going to be a lot of people who benefit from your openness and most of all, I guarantee you, I am living proof, you'll benefit from it Rate too. and review the podcast and if you want to keep the conversation going, hit us up on, on, on Instagram, at Life's Rec Podcast the, the best place to keep up with the podcast Happy Holidays, Merry Christmas guys we love you tons, take care of yourselves, please, we'll see you in two weeks. Life's a wreck and I wouldn't want to have it any other way. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.